All right, and welcome to the, what did we decide to call this? <laughs> it's Friday. It is. I should have written this down. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wabash Valley Economic Development Co-op Land Podcast. I'm here today with Christy Sutherland of Prosperity Ag, who may be familiar to some of you. She's been a longtime friend of Wabash Valley, and we're excited to have her here. And she is here as our first-time in-person guest in our new podcast studio. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Well, so let's just start things off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, kind of your background, what led you to take over Prosperity Ag and sort of what Prosperity Ag does for the end users that you uh, you serve? Great. So, yeah, my name is Christy Sutherland. I've been a longtime Indiana resident. Previously, before Prosperity Ag, I was a business development director for Celential Energy, who some of the the co-op members might know as well. I had a lot of experience working with the co-ops through that, you know, that role. And in 2014, I was introduced to Sarah Aubrey, who started Prosperity Ag back in 2007. And she didn't have a lot of experience with renewables, a lot with energy efficiencies and farms. And so there was this great opportunity to partner. And then in 2015, I bought into the company. And in 2015, late, Sarah left. So now at that point was my company and got to be able to grow it and expand it and be able to see how else we could help the co-ops and, and the people that you guys serve. So so as I mentioned, Prosperity has been around since 2007. Ag is a big part of what we do, but we've also noticed that a lot of it is rural-based. So a lot of the members that you guys serve, you know, whatever role, if it's a, a volunteer fire department or if they're, you know, on the school board, there's there's so many ways that it kind of like intersects in lots of different methods. Right. And so I think, you know, you've done a couple of specific projects with our co-ops. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the the Red Leg program and how you've interacted with some of our members in bringing those to fruition. Yeah. So for those of you guys that don't know, Red Leg is the Rural Economic Development Loan and Grant. Um, it is through the rural development side of USDA. And really what it does, is it tries to bring economic development to these rural areas in a unique way because the co-ops have this great position to be able to reach members that maybe to traditional USDA offices can't. You know, they're, they're reaching so far out there. And so they're trying to create these loans and or grants through this program. The grant essentially creates a revolving loan fund. So it's not like the, the co-op is getting a grant to do anything. They would get the grant to then ultimately give that money out to do the economic development type projects. So whether it's a startup or whether it's an expansion, it could be infrastructure based. Um, We've seen quite a few projects in the past where we've done, you know, industrial parks. So we worked with Carol White, REMC on that before, created basically a turn lane into an industrial park. So that was something that it helped bring the utilities and the infrastructure that was needed because at the end of the day, that that industrial park is going to bring valuable jobs to that community. Um, and that enabled them to bring water. So yes. it was more of a domino effect of getting the road figured out, allowed them to get the water, which allowed them to, to add buildings basically right. to that park, right? Yes, yes. So it's, it, the, the idea is as long as we can create jobs, as long as there can be some kind of economic development from those projects, then they're eligible there's no like magic number. Uh, it's it's all, you know, it's all points based. But we've seen other people do there's manufacturing jobs and they want to expand their warehouse or their their processing facility. That would also be eligible. So 
there, there's a lot of opportunities with that program, but it's very underutilized. Not very many people apply for it. I think Indiana may has like two or three. Hopefully we see some more, but the the idea to get that revolving loan fund is usually really appealing, but it's, it's a matter of kind of figuring out what do those projects look like? Is the REMC interested in doing this to be able to, to continue this development for, for the community that they serve? So the program is really powerful, but I think, you know, we talked about this with with our members for years, really, but you kind of brought an element that we couldn't to hold people's hand through this process. And talk to me a little bit about kind of how you go through that application. Mm -hmm. You work directly with USDA because you have those relationships and just how that engagement works and, and what service you provide really for the cooperative to basically bring this to a successful conclusion. Yeah, what we what we notice is with grants is people think they sound great, but they don't have time to apply for them. So that's kind of what we're here for. Navigating them through the whole process, whether it's deciding to apply for the grant through the application process and then through the, the end process of the grant. So typically what we do is we talk with the president or the executive director of, of the, the co-op and whoever is, is kind of taking the lead on that. We usually present it to the board because it does have to have board approval for the USDA. We do have to include that in the packet. Once everybody's kind of on the same page, what I basically am doing is project management. So there's, there is writing in the grant. You know, we are grant writers, but a lot is project management. It's here's the pieces we need to put together. Here's the timeline to put that together. And we do have due dates that we have to make sure that we're complying with. And then helping to delegate, bring that information in, make sure the packet is eligible. And then yes, we're that liaison with USDA. So whatever state it is, they've got like a USDA rep that is in charge of that program. They'll call me. They're not going to call the RMC and ask them, you know, why didn't you fill out this section of the form? They know to call me, you know, I'll take care of that, which I think makes it a lot easier on the REMCs and, and those that were kind of put in charge of, of this program. You know, they, they don't know. They're kind of leaning on us to be able to provide that guidance throughout the entire process. I have heard from some people that the closeout and the, the administration of it is definitely a decent amount of work as well. So it's making sure that the people who are on the front end of the grant and the back end of the grant all have the information that they need in order to successfully carry it out. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think it's been a huge help to the to the members that you have worked with in our system. And it is a fantastic service that you offer. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the Fulton Grant project that you did that was more on the grant side. I think they even came in a little bit above what I had expected initially, how that program went and, and what that grant was for. Yeah. So we started working with Fulton County, our EMC, several years ago and talked to them about the different things that this grant and or loan program could do. And they were really excited about the idea of the grant. So essentially what happens is there's up to $500,000 that they can receive in a grant fund. That can go to one ultimate recipient if they want, or it could go towards multiple. We chose to do it towards one in order to help with industrial business park. And so it allowed for a road to be constructed going into an industrial park that basically had already been developed, but they just couldn't get to that finish line of getting the road completed so that they could sell these parcels of land. They even had people interested in the parcels, but they were like, why Why are we going to put this in if there's no road? And so we were able to come to them and say, here's what we can do with this program. 
the really great thing about that is, is once the ultimate recipient, who was the Economic Development Corporation, once they've paid that loan back, they can then keep that money. They're, they're not obligated to send it back to the USDA. They keep the money and then they can revolve it out again. Again, it can go towards one recipient. It could go towards multiple recipients. They still want the same idea that this is going to be providing economic development from that project. But as they continue that program, as they're collecting the money back, as they're you know getting some interest, maybe some, some annual fees, that the hope is that that program and that fund will grow. They can apply every single year to that program again and keep adding to that revolving loan fund. So there are some REMCs out, um, out West that have millions and millions and millions of dollars in their revolving loan fund, and they just keep growing it and growing it. And so that would be the hope is that they continue to, to expand this. And it could be focused just on that industrial park, or they could look at other projects. They could look at revitalizing downtown. They could look at, you know, we're going to bring in and put a shell building in and see who wants who wants to go into that. So it's it's really open. There is a loan board that will make those decisions. So they'll they'll come alongside them and say which projects do we really want, which ones kind of meet our criteria. Because at the end of the day, the the REMC is this is their project. If a if a applicant does default, we have to make sure that we've got the right collateral in place. We've got the right you know all, all of those measures in place. And so that's something we help with on the front end is make sure that they understand like here's what happens. Here's here's what you need to be prepared for in in this event. But what we've seen is a lot of times the projects are really well vetted. They're they're loaning to people or organizations or municipalities that they know are going to be reputable and and be able to carry that out and pay that money back. So shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that, I mean, I guess for the listeners, they should know is Wabash Valley contracts with Prosperity Ag. So a lot of the services that Christy provides on behalf of Wabash Valley to the membership, co-op members don't actually have to pay for it. It's all, it's all covered by Wabash Valley. It's the least we can do to help with these projects. But Red Leg isn't all that you do. And I know you offer a lot of services in the grant writing space using the USDA programs. Maybe give us just a little bit of an overview of some of the other programs that you're involved with that your shop helps uh, people successfully bring to fruition. Yeah. As our name suggests, ag is a big portion of what we do, but USDA is, is probably the biggest part of our portfolio, whether it's a rural development or, you know, if it's, you know, food nutrition services, other types of areas, we Definitely see mostly USDA. As of right now, which it's quarter one of 2023, our biggest program is the USDA Rural Energy for America program. Right before Christmas, they announced an increase in the grant amount plus an increase in dollars. And so we've seen probably four times the applications that we normally do. So that's a really great program. We, we serve a lot of, of REMC members because of that. So whether it's solar or grain dryers or lighting replacements, that's a big one. But we also do a lot with, uh, with ag food related. So we do a lot of value added processing type grants. The meat processors have had a lot of funding avail- available to them in recent years. So we've been doing a lot of you know meat processors or packers. And then the rest is like kind of this mixed bag. As I mentioned, we've got some rural volunteer fire departments. We've got some historical museums. It's anybody's guess how our name gets shared, but that's that's kind of how it works. You know, we we help 
you know, an REMC member, but they're also on a board of some sort and they're serving in their community. And so that's kind of how our work evolves. We have found that a lot of times it's just listening to their story. What, what is it that they want to do? What are they hoping to achieve? And then how can we help with that? Is it they want just this one grant done and then they're done? Or is it we have all of these projects over time and how do you navigate us through that? So we try to be as custom as we can for what they what they need. Of course, if they just if they just have a one grant, let's just do that one. But if they have a lot of needs, let's talk about do we need to do some research? Do we need to create a game plan, create some timelines? You know, what's what's what makes the best sense for first steps? especially if they've never done a grant before. That's the biggest thing is if if you've never done a grant, there's a lot involved with that. We can also help if they've got other types of incentive programs or if they need connected to, you know, loan guarantees or things like that. So we really just try to listen to what their their needs are and be able to fill that gap in, in whatever way that might be. So especially with interest rates on the rise, are you anticipating to see more activity just from the consumer side and looking at more of these grants, you obviously mentioned that that with additional funding, is there a correlation between, you know, as as maybe money gets a little bit tighter from the banking side, there's a little bit more reliance on the federal dollar side. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. What I've noticed, at least with this rural energy for America, or we call it REAP, what it comes down to is that now it makes financial sense. So before that grant was a 25% cash reimbursement, now it's 40%. And so the people who are kind of ambivalent, like, oh, maybe we'll do this. Now they're like, oh, my gosh, this like <laughs> I am getting so much more because of this grant. You know, and, and there are other opportunities out there with like tax credits and depreciation. So like at the end of the day, when they're looking at the financials, it just makes sense to them. And a lot of the other projects I work with, it's it's a matter of they need to make these changes, whether it's a meat processor that needs to put in, you know, a, a packaging machine. They need to do it, but the grants allow them to do this quicker. You know, instead of it being next year when we can save up enough money, now we can do it now. Or people are in the position of let's apply for the grant and see if I can get it and then I'll be able to to make those changes. But quite a few of the people that I work with, they're like, we've got to do this one way or another. And now the grants are helping us accelerate that timeline, which is a really great position to have then like there's money, so let's just apply for it. Because I, I definitely see those people too, where they're like, one way or another, we're going to find a way to apply. The reviewers usually see right through that. So we want to make sure that the application we're putting in really makes sense. It really fits eligibility, no matter if it is a meat processor or solar or you know a, a red leg project. So really there's, there's quite a bit of like front end. Let's figure out how to tell this story in the, the most efficient way. So, and I think that was one of the things that when we first started working together was was surprising to me is it wasn't just me saying, hey, can you help us with this problem? You were coming to us with, hey, I've got somebody mm-hmm. who might be a quality applicant for Red Leg, Reap, whatever it might be. Would this be something that maybe your co-op would be interested in pursuing? So, you know, how often are you hearing from people that maybe don't even know what type of program they want, but are kind of coming to you first to say, hey, what's out there? Yeah, that's that's really common. Some people will be like, I heard about grants or I heard about this one. Am I even eligible? 
So then we're having to kind of like navigate that eligibility. But yeah, there's there's quite a few times people come and they have no idea what they're eligible for. So listening to their story, explaining some of the programs, here's here's kind of what we're thinking, but we have to make sure we talk through all aspects of that before we proceed. But that's really a lot of what we do is a lot of the USDA grants, especially have a score sheet assigned to them. And so like, let's talk through this score sheet. How can we best position you guys? Are there ways for us to maximize the score by telling it this way. And so the the success of what we do is because of that. It's not just like we're going to take every client that comes to us and apply for a grant. We're going to figure out how how do we best approach this program for that client and and really for us too as as a consultant we want to make sure that what we're putting out there is quality work and that pe- people come to know us that we put in 10 applications and we're awarded nine, not we put in 10 applications and we're we're awarded one. So by making sure that all of those boxes are checked early on, that's helpful. Um, And whether that's us bringing the program to them or them bringing it to us, that work has to be done. So you're here in Metro Indianapolis. You live in this area, you work in this area, but you're not just focused on Indiana either. Where else are you doing projects for people using these programs? So, yeah, we're located in Hamilton County and then we're working in probably just about every state. I don't think we've done Hawaii or, or Alaska, but we have done two territories. We've worked in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And then currently I have projects from California to New York for the REAP grant. So while we're located here and we've got some really great relationships, the Midwest is the the bulk of what we do, but the USDA is pretty evergreen. So we can do the same program in different states because the regulations are, are pretty much the same. There might be some interpretation differences, but we know that, you know, this program is going to be around in each state. We really love the Midwest, though. This is where this is where we're at, and this is where the clients that we we really hold close to our heart. So, yeah, that this this is where we live and and work. But we can work anywhere. And I think that that interpretation point is is one that that really struck me when I first started with Wabash Valley because you talk to Illinois and they maybe have one interpretation of how the program can be used, and Indiana might have a little bit different take on it. But really, that comes down to your relationship with the USDA office. And that was one of the most impressive things was the fact that, you know, these were people that you were kind of going to, from my perspective, you know, hoping, praying that they'd like your project. And you have a more than just a first name basis with them, but you're constantly talking Mm -hmm. to them, feeling out sort of how they're going to read a specific project long before we even get to that application. So how do you manage, you know, you've got, let's say, 48 continental United States directors, but it sounds like you've got a really good relationship with many of them. Yeah, of course. You know, I don't know every one of them on a first name basis, but yeah, every program is structured in the USDA a little different on how those contacts work. So some of them will have, you know, for the whole state, there's one rep for energy programs, or there's one for, you know, the red leg program. So it's figuring out who those contacts are. I have found that it always is helpful to reach out and talk to them about a project, especially if it's something like a red leg where it is an ongoing relationship. We're not just going to submit the application and never hear from them. The ones through the Midwest, we know very well. We can call them and ask them questions that we may not clearly know the answer to, or they're really tricky. I always have one, I call them like a one problem child that is always so difficult that their their project doesn't make sense and I'm trying to interpret it and we'll call USDA and work through it together. Because at the end of the day, 
especially with the rural development offices in USDA, they really are there to help. You hear kind of a bad rep from applying for grants and they make it so difficult. And there definitely are programs out there like that. But with the USDA, it's I've always felt they're trying to make it work somehow. They, they work with us. Let's Let's talk through this. And so that really makes a big difference. They're Definitely are programs where we work with where they give you some generic email if you have questions and you never hear back from people and they're like, literally don't call us. But it, it does take a special amount of relationships to be able to work on it. Being able to know that Illinois views this one part of the regulation one way versus Indiana. People have asked me how you keep track and I really don't know. Like my, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure one day I'll lose it. But for right now, we just, we've got really good relationships with them. And, you know, it, the other thing is, when we submit an application and let's say we we overlooked something, USDA is usually pretty good about like, hey, you know, let's let's talk about what what was missing. We always submit early our applications as much as we can. There's of course some little stragglers, but really getting those applications in early, especially with red leg, because the the, the local reps will review your application. They'll look at it. What can what can we change? Hey, I noticed that you did this, but I think we could get more points if you added this. And so that, I think, speaks well to what the the USDA Rural Development Offices are doing very well. Great. So you mentioned on the REAP program, at least, the reimbursement amount went up. What other changes should people be aware of for 2023 with kind of the new, new cycle? Yeah, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more changes similar to that with other programs. As anybody knows, the the government moves slow. So I was kind of surprised they announced the increase to REAP so quickly. But that program has been around for many years. Um, I think it was it started in 2002. So that program is, you know, they find oiled machines. So I think they could roll that change out very quickly. But I do think we're going to start seeing new programs I don't know what those are going to look like. I don't think USDA knows what they're going to look like. But then we, I think we will see some increase in dollars. So the hope would be maybe they increase the red leg program amount. I mean, in the past, it was up to $2 million. They dropped it to $1 million. Maybe they're going to bring it back up. I think patience is, is the key term for some of these just because they, they do move slow. But once they're announced, I think there's going to be a lot of interest. I think the one thing to keep in mind is just because the grant increased and funding amount increased, you have to also take into account that more people are going to apply. So that's great that, that you know, we could get more money, but we still have to be really cognizant of what that project looks like. Do that scoring, no matter what program it's with, and make sure we still have a good project. Don't just throw an application in. Oh, great. We have a, we have a, we have a better chance because there's more money. It, it may not look like that. So I think being aware of what kind of like the environment for each program will be key in making sure that all people have success with it. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. I guess one last question. Who is your power company? My power company is Boone REMC. Well, that's awesome. It is. <laughs> Great. Well, that puts a nice ribbon on all of this. So, Christy, thank you for joining us today. This is really informational stuff. Of course, you know, people, I think, know how to get a hold of you, but prosperityag.com is your website, yes. correct? Yes. And you can email us the easiest one's grants at prosperityag.com. But there's lots of contact information and, and more information about each program on our website too. 
Great. And of course, people can always get a hold of Christy through the Wabash Valley Economic Development Team as well. So, uh, you know, we are proud subscribers or I guess clients of yours. Yes. And, and we ex- are always excited about new project and new opportunities, especially when these, these things are changing and you're on top of it and we're just waiting to see how things go. So again, thank you for joining us. It's been great hearing about all this from you and, and you've been a great guest today. Thank you. All right. And this has been another episode of the Wabash Valley Economic Development Co-op Land Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Big thanks to Christy Sutherland for her uh, participation today. Also, thank you to Austin Arceo for his engineering and production skills and Rachel Huser for writing today's episode. Again, we will talk to you soon and thank you and have a good rest of your month.